So may I add uh, my welcome to Anne's. As she said, my name is David. I've been at St Barnabas for a while as a member here, and uh, I met my wife here. We have three kids, and uh, my youngest, my daughter, would not uh, forgive me uh, for not mentioning that we also have Humphrey the hamster. Um, I'm not sure where he is in his faith yet, um, <laughs> or whether that will be covered on the Inspire session. Um, <laughs> I think she would like to introduce him to Jesus, so that's nice at least. Um, we are following uh, a theme uh, at the moment, which is called the big story, and thinking um, of the big story of the Bible, but also really it is the big story um, for this whole planet, this third rock from the sun, as they say, and it is a story of a God who sought out and seeks out a beautiful friendship with you. It's a story we've seen of a God who made everything that we can see, that we can't see. He made it all. A story of a God who wept when we turned around and said, no thanks. It's also a story of a God who was not prepared to let us go and pursued us in his love. We saw last week with James, God binding himself to us in a covenant and remaining faithful to that covenant always, even when we were faithless. And in the end, he honors his side of the covenant and will honor his side of the covenant. And the end, our side of the covenant will be honored, but not by us, by Jesus. God will honor both sides of this covenant for the sake of a beautiful friendship. Today we've moved on a little bit. We're in Exodus, as Anne said. The descendants of Abraham have multiplied um, as promised. They are fairly numerous. They're living in Egypt and they are slaves to the Egyptians. But God has commissioned a man, Moses, filled him with his spirit and asked him to lead them out. And he's been going to Pharaoh again and again and again and again and saying, please let my people go. And Pharaoh, um, like a teenager, has been indecisive and says, yes, then no, then yes, then no, then yes, then no. And it's hard to really follow what he's thinking. But after a series of plagues, he eventually asks them to get out of there. And they do. But they're not quite home and dry. And that's where we pick up the story today in chapter 13 of Exodus and reading from verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter, for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt, armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph, that's the great-grandson of Abraham, with him, because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. 
After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Haheroth, which is a name that I suggested for one of my kids, but it was vetoed, um, <laughs> uh, between Migdol, also good, and the sea. Uh, they are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. A moment of obedience. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? Why have we let the Israelites go and have lost their services? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, "'Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die?' What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Moses at this point, I reckon, has a face of, that says nothing other than, no, I don't remember you saying that. <laughs> it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answers the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. If, if you had a late night last night and you need to sleep, Hear this verse and then enjoy half an hour of a Celtic accent. <laughs> the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of the army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Israel and Egypt. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. This is the word of the Lord. Speak. 
if we were to read on in the story, we would see that God does indeed deliver His people in the way He described. He delivers these people from the Egyptians, from slavery, and into the promised freedom. And they don't see them ever again. They never see the Egyptians again at all. And their contribution to this, armed as they were, with all they had, ready for battle, their contribution, nothing at all. Zip. Absolutely zilch. What was his general advice when faced with an enemy is recorded for us in Deuteronomy 20. He says this, do not be afraid, do not be terrified, or give way to panic. Do not be terrified or give way to panic. Why not? I mean, this would seem like an excellent moment to just massively panic, boxed in by the sea with your enemy in chariots racing towards you. The answer the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will deliver you. You only need to be still. And this was proved true in Israel's history again and again and again and again and again. The Lord delivering them from all sorts of nasty binds they got themselves into. Sometimes, to be fair, unavoidable, quite often of their own making. And God was faithful to them. Whether they were faithful or faithless, He was faithful to them. God delivers. This is the great truth we see through their story, through the story here, through the story of Israel throughout the Scripture. And it gives birth to some of the most striking and famous passages in the Bible. If we take, for example, that great archetypal Psalm 23, absolutely beautiful, mentioned often for good reason. Verse 4, it says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you been there? It's a good description, isn't it? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A wonderful verse, a couple earlier, verse 2. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters. Does that speak of a deliverance from the valley of the shadow of death? Or does it speak of a deliverance from the fear so that we can be beside the still waters at the same time as walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Or is it both? For my money, it's probably both. A God who delivers His people through. Psalm 23. Or what of Isaiah 43? Some of you will be familiar with this. Um, great chapter, read it all. Verse 1 to 6 in particular encapsulate, I guess, what we're speaking of today, and I'll read you verse 2 as a highlight. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
When you walk past through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Notice that it doesn't promise us we won't experience things that are tough. It doesn't say you won't pass through the fire. It says when you pass through the fire. I wonder how many here would say we'd been in fire. Or are in it right now. doesn't promise we'll avoid these things, but it does say we will not be burned. We will not be burned. God will deliver us through. Notice too that it says when we pass through the fire. For those here who didn't feel they'd ever been in a fire or are in one now, and may God bless the three of you this morning that that relates to. (laughs) May you continue to have a nice day. It says when, I'm afraid, and not if. This is the reality of the world. But the promise holds. The flames will not set you ablaze. Israel's story is the same as ours. It is the big story of the Bible, the big story of this third rock from the sun, of a God whose heart is set on a beautiful friendship with us and who has the power and the will to deliver us again and again. Power to deliver us from circumstances and from fear of those circumstances. To some extent, we've looked at that already, those external things that come at us. But power too to deliver us from the things inside, from poisonous lies that would drive a wedge between God and us, from poisonous lies that would enslave us, would crush us, and so deprive us of the freedom Christ won for us. Paul describes that wonderfully in Galatians, a freedom that has been won for us. I wonder today for a number of us here if it's that second one that affects us more sometimes. Poisonous lies inside that would take us down. Lies about God, lies about us. Lies in our head, lies in our heart. God would deliver us from all of these. May I share with you this morning a poisonous lie that has been in me for much of my life and is far less now than it ever was. But it's a lie that says, you don't like me. That I wouldn't be welcome in your group that if I wasn't there, nothing would be missing. We have uh, 
old photos, a friend of uh, and I, we met each other when we were 11, we did lots of things together, um, and uh, there was a group of us who used to hang out and we'd go to camps and various things, and there's some great photos, and of course, you know, we're teenagers, so all the photos are us going, ha, ha, and things like this, you know, this is the kind of um, style of photo they are, but as you look at those photos, there is the group there, and then there's a big space, and then there's me standing off to the side. Remember, particularly thinking in these terms at the time. I think the poison was in there, though, that made me stand just a bit away all the time. Just stand back a little bit. In case you're not welcome. Or not wanted. Or not loved. These are all lies. And God has delivered me from much of that, but you can tell by my reaction, which slightly surprised me, <laughs> that it is still a work being done. And it is being done. James said to me this morning in the service that he'd bought some shoes that matched mine, um, just to be a bit more like me. Now he's making a joke. He pretty much struggles to communicate in any other way. Um, <coughs> um, Praying for Matt Jones this morning, he just spent most of the time making fun of his jumper. Um, it's a lovely jumper, Matt. Um, but it was a little bit of odd affirmation. Thank you. It is a lie in my life. It's a lie in yours, if it's in yours. And maybe I speak too often, either behind this microphone or otherwise, about being the apple of God's eye, his treasured possession. Because I need to hear it again and again and again. The antidote to the lie, the truth about me. I wonder if God is very clever indeed. My name is David, which means beloved of God. You're beloved of God, whether or not your name is David. <laughs> Just add it in, you know. But I wonder if for me, he knew I would need that. Are there some here today who a poisonous lie has entered you? Either this one or, or another. God would deliver you from that. From this lie, a pervasive untruth that is denying you freedom, God would deliver you from this. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Just a complete change of beat now. <laughs> May I tell you um, of some, something that annoys me a little bit, and it's to do with language. What I find is there are some words around. People have favorite words. 
Um, I've got a friend, his favorite word is obstreperous. Doesn't surprise it at all. He, uh, he loves to annoy people. That's all he spends his life doing, really. And, uh, and we love him for it in a kind of way. There are words that annoy me, though. But, you know, for example, why is dyslexic hard to spell? Why is lisp hard to say if you've got one? Why is pronunciation pronounced differently to every other form of the word? These are things that annoy me. I really need to find some other things to do. I'll tell you a word that really frustrates me, though, is indoctrinate. The word indoctrinate really frustrates me. Because what does it mean? I mean, it, it means now to impose on somebody something that you believe without giving any room for them to choose that from themselves. So the government indoctrinates the masses. Schools indoctrinate young people and parents indoctrinate their children. And this means something negative. Well, that's the way it's used. But back in the day, it meant something different. It just meant to have truth go deep within. To have truth go deep within. A doctrine in us. So positively, a truth seeps into us and becomes part of the fabric of who we are so that it changes how we think and feel and live for the better. Whether the circumstances that surround us or the lie embedded in us, and whatever the specific truth we need to hear there, we need to hear this big truth. We need to be positively, wholesomely indoctrined with the reality that God has the power and will to deliver us, to see us through, to standing tall again, breathing the free air. And our contribution? Nothing at all. Nothing at all. This is the gospel, folks. This is the thing we came to, first of all. The great gospel. We referenced Galatians earlier. Galatians is the book, if you like, it's, it's, it's Paul's troubleshooting book on grace. He's trying to get them back to this idea that it's Jesus and nothing else that redeems us. And so in chapter 3, he says this. He says, he redeemed us. Three simple words. He redeemed us. He delivers us. Our wealth, folks, is in the cross. A gift, a gift of Jesus. What could we add? We've been singing in this church for a number of months now. The songs, uh, What a Beautiful Name, and uh, Love So Great, done that loads, and Be Kids. Um, and if you like the two of those, maybe you went out and downloaded the album. Or if you're a little older, you bought the CD. Or if you're me, you bought the CD twice because you'd forgotten you bought it the first time. <laughs> I'm loving my 40s. <laughs> <laughs>
in, on that CD or downloaded album, uh, there is a song called Crowns. It imagines the crowns that we would build for ourselves, our wealth, our abilities, our talents, the things we would do, we would wear, and compares them with the cross, takes them and puts them beside the cross. And in the final verse, it imagines us before the throne with those crowns before the Lord. My imagination sort of bounces off there. Can you imagine the scene as you stand there, your crowns, everything you are, everything you've done or achieved, your wealth there before the Lord. In this room of such brightness and brilliance and beauty, they would look as though moldy bread that even a rat would say no to. Maybe we would slump a little as we stood before the Father, ashamed that we even dared to bring such a thing to Him. And the Father would look at us, I imagine, with a face that's hard to read, and ask us to account for ourselves, ask us where our wealth is. We'd look to Jesus at His right and see a face too unreadable, but did we catch a little smile at the corner of his mouth, just a twitch maybe. And we'd look to the left of the Father and see the Spirit. He who has been with us at every moment in this journey, who knows us so well. And maybe as we turn from him back to the Father, we just see him widen his eyes a little, giving us that little bit of encouragement to say our line. And then we do. We look the Father in the face and we say, my wealth is in the cross. The Jesus at this point breaks into a smile like you've never seen. The Holy Spirit, despite knowing you so well, you've caught him off guard and says, what a line. And the Father looks at us with a face of such radiance, with a gaze of such love that we will not forget it for one moment of any day for the rest of eternity, and says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Welcome home. The Lord will deliver us to a beautiful friendship there is not anything we could add. We need only be still. This is a message, folks, today for me. And it's a message for you. It is a message today for all you love. And it is a message today for those out there who maybe it looks like no one loves There are people in this world, some of us in this room, who right now feel trapped by the sea, an enemy threatening to overrun them. There are people in this world right now who feel like the river is getting very high or the fire is getting very close. Take this good 
and beautiful truth of God to heart. Take this goodness of God, let it sink deep within you, and walk from this place and have the courage to share this goodness with all who you know and meet. I beg of us all, let us share this goodness. The Lord will deliver you. You need only be still. May the Lord bless us all today. Amen.